Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers, where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. Our guest today is Will Beckett. He's the co-founder and owner of Hawksmoor, a group of British steakhouse and cocktail bars. The son of Fiona Beckett, the food and wine critic, Will vividly remembers the role food played in his youth. In 2003, Will and his old school friend Hugh Gott borrowed £100,000 to open a bar in Shoreditch. We had three bars and restaurants before we opened Hawksmoor, he says. Having been fairly rubbish at what we did for a long time, there were almost no mistakes left to make. So eventually we got reasonably good at what we were doing. Humble words too. Now there's nine Hawksmoors in the UK and a tenth due to open in New York this year. They spent eight consecutive years in the Sunday Times Best Companies to Work For list. They're shortlisted as one of the most sustainable restaurant groups in the country by the Sustainable Restaurant Association and they support charities against hunger and One Water Foundation. Hello, thank you for joining. How are you doing? Hi. It's really good to see you. I'm really pleased you've been able to, to make it today. I know that your mum was involved in food, and I know that that would have had an impact on you, but many people whose mums were involved in food don't go on to then do the lunacy of what you've done. Tell me why, about 15 years or so ago, you actually said, you know what, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to set up my own things in the world of food and drink. The, the other co-founder, Hugh, is, is my best friend, and he has been since we were 11 years old, 30 years ago. And we both we both came from food and drink families. We we grew up around it, and we had an inkling that we might want to get into this business. Our father's more sensible voices kind of steered us away from it for a bit. We, you know, went to university and got real jobs. Both discovered fairly quickly that we neither liked nor were very good at having real jobs. Uh, and yeah, when we were twenty six, we thought we would we would try and do something on our own. We opened a little bar in Shoreditch together. Uh, and everything kind of just started from there. So th- we always had an idea we wanted to do it, but mm. there was never really a master plan of any kind. I mean, for those people that don't know, you know, you, you now employ 800 people. You've got a turnover of close to 40 million quid, which I think is is obviously a significant business. Um, and for those people who like dining out at a certain point in the market, they will know you and they will um, and they will not just know you, they'll think you're fantastic and, and many critics have said it's the best steak around and so on and so forth as we've come to. Just talk to me a little bit about the fact that you followed your father's advice. You said, well, you know, I mean, partly that was his influence saying you go and do a degree. You, you did a proper degree and you got a master's from University College in London. You even thought about a doctorate. That's a very far shift away from being the owner of restaurants and bars. I mean, that's properly being a good boy isn't it i mean is there some part uh, of you that's not quite as rebellious as people might think i'm not sure anyone thinks i'm particularly rebellious but mm-hmm. uh I, I mean i definitely didn't really pick the things that my dad would have wanted me to pick i mean weirdly he would have liked me to study things like business uh mm. and i went off and studied french and russian instead uh i did a master's in left-wing modern european history and very useful actually was, now well this is this is good well, stuff in a way, it can in help a, us all understand what's going on. In a on. way, it was quite useful because it, it made me almost completely unemployable. Mm. Um, 
so I didn't I didn't really have a vocation to go into a career to go into and that I think probably contributed to me ending up doing my own thing but yeah I mean I remember that period of, of being about to do or thinking about doing a PhD and slightly oversimplifying but I remember thinking at school you know I'm, I'm doing okay here I'm doing reasonably well at university I remember thinking I'm not trying particularly hard I'm enjoying myself but still seem to be coping okay masters I started thinking this is a little bit difficult and then I went into a room with people who wanted to do a PhD not many of us left and I remember thinking I am the least intelligent person in this room <laughs> and I don't want to spend the next three or four years of my life kind of feeling that um so that that was kind of the end for me and at about that time Hugh who's always wanted to do his own business you know I'd kind of had sort of unlocked this it was called Bengal fried chicken this little thing in Shoreditch and said oh, I'm going to turn this into a bar you should come and do that instead so I did Stayed me to find out what unfolded, and plenty has. As I said, their business is now rather successful and, and still going really, really, really well. Stayed me for much more for my business show. It's Will Beckett, co-founder and owner at the Hawksmoor business, as well as Foxlow. Time for some more music right now. It's Marcus Miller with Lonnie's Lament. That was Marcus Miller with Lonnie's Lament. I'm with Will Beckett, his co-founder and owner at Hawksmoor, and also, as I said earlier, Foxlow. So you, you, you were talking back after the university point where you realise you may not be the smartest person, or I'm sure you were just as smart as the rest of me. Probably, it was probably just a, a feeling inside rather than a truth. But that enabled you to go, you know what, let me try something else. That first bar experience, I mean, I keep reading, you, you've written many, many things, or you've been interviewed many times, and you often sound very humble because you say, well, that didn't work. And that didn't work, and that didn't work. And basically, we made every mistake we could have made. So by the time we came to Hawksmoor, it was going to be brilliant. I'm assuming the first bar wasn't easy. No, we we sort of, we embarked on, let's say, five years there of about the most expensive kind of business education that you could possibly get. Because we we ran that first bar, we had a Mexican bar restaurant, we opened a pub, and we did our first Hawksmoor, and... The first three things, Hawksmoor was the fourth, were all different shades of failure. Um, <laughs> they were successful in some ways. We quite often, you know, we were we were good at, you know, food and drink. We were good at customers coming in and having a good time. But we were awful at running a business and we made a lot of mistakes then. But not often make the same mistake twice. Mm. And we tried to work out how to run a bigger business. I mean, when, when we had four things, I remember thinking... We were drastically in over our heads. I remember calling everyone I I could think of who had a business that was the same size or bigger in, in our industry and just saying, please pick any of our restaurants. Can I just sit down, buy you a meal and ask you endless questions about how this works? I started reading a lot and just kind of slowly, 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 I mean, coming out at the end of that five, six year period by 2008, 2009, thought, I think we've we're starting to get the hang of how this stuff works now. But yeah, it was it was crazy. What sort of things were going wrong? I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm assuming cash flow was an issue. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I mean, you know, whether it's just stuff that you know you have to get right, but we didn't, like, you know, how you employ people or uh, motivate them or laughable stories like 
when we took over the pub, we signed the lease first and then did our research after that. And by research, I mean we typed the name of the pub into Google and the first result in like the Islington Gazette or something was an article saying the pub from hell. <laughs> and the, uh, the previous landlord had been hospitalised by his customers or something. And, and anyway, we took that over. We signed the Hawksmoor lease before we'd signed the loan document from the bank and the bank changed its mind. So we were about two weeks from going bust and Hugh's parents had to remortgage their home and well, I didn't have to, but they did. Uh, my stepdad lent me his kind of life savings of about 20 grand. It just, I mean, catastrophically mm. stupid things that somehow we managed to survive. So how do you think you have survived and more than survived? Now you're flourishing. Obviously, there were this collection of experiences that you had where you go, well, we're not doing that again. We're not doing that again. We're not doing that again. And you yep. work out due diligence. You work out the order of things and all those other things that you just alluded to. How have you then really translated that into a proper formula where not only is the product fabulous, the experience fabulous, but you're also making money? What, what's that pivotal... Um, moment for you or set of moments it's probably around 2009 I think we we'd started to kind of sell some of the things that weren't Hawksmoor and we had decided that we wanted to see if we could grow Hawksmoor we were really aware that we'd had a bigger business that was not a good one and we had a smaller business the one Hawksmoor restaurant that was you know was great where we'd got those same things right the food and the drink and the customer and customers having a good time mm. But also staff stayed and we just had a really, really good working environment there. And we, we tried to pin down what is it that makes this small business great and how do we go about making sure that those small number of things stay real in the business, irrespective of how big we got. And, you know, we, we, we had spent time thinking about how to run a business. And I think, you know, somewhere in there is where some some independent restaurants because it's not an unusual story, is it, that a small, great, independent restaurant tries to grow and somehow diminishes the greatness that made it successful in the first place. In a way, we, were so un- we, we weren't key to the success of that first restaurant. By the time it opened, we already ran a business. We had to work that bit of it out. So, yeah, we, I think we just spent uh, and still spend an enormous amount of time thinking about how do we keep those small number of things that makes Hawksmoor, I hope both a great restaurant and a great company. How do we make those things real at the scale that we're at now? And how do we run a business that is this big or a bit bigger than the one we run now? And I'm going to find out a little bit more about on a specific small thing, which we'll come on to in a little bit. So hold that thought. You're with me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM. It's Jazz Shapers. And my guest, as you know, as you've been hearing, is Will Beckett, co-founder and owner at Hawksmoor and Foxlow 2. He's coming back in a couple of minutes. But first, we're going to hear some advice from our programme partners at Mishkondoret for your business. Hi, I'm Richard Leadham, Head of Insurance Litigation at Mishkondoret. We have clients who come to us who have claims against insurance companies, and often they face the problem themselves, which is why they need to claim. And they're very concerned about the cost of bringing that claim. And what I say to them is, don't worry about the cost of it. There's a concept out there called litigation funding, where funders will come in, um, if you've got a good claim, will back your claim, invest in it. And yes, they want a cut of what you recover, but in return, they cover the costs of your litigation so you don't have to worry about something which is a real worry to a lot of clients. There's a pretty sophisticated market out there of funders who I've worked with over the years. They access private money 
university funds, property funds and hedge funds and the rest of it. And litigation is seen as quite a good investment to make at a time when investment returns generally for capital are really low, whereas a, a funder can get 25-30% back from a piece of litigation. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed hear this programme again. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes or just put Jazz Shapers into your preferred podcast platform and you can enjoy the full archive over there too. But back to today, it's Will Beckett, co-founder and owner at Hawksmoor and they're a group, just in case you didn't know, of British steakhouse and cocktail bars, which is a nice way of saying you make amazing steaks and you serve really nice drinks. Um, The small things, and it is that moment and you absolutely nailed it by saying the independent restaurant, we've all found the one... It's the discovery, it's local, you love it. And then they make the cardinal error of saying, let's get two and let's get three, and it all falls apart because those small things that you loved about Restaurant One are dissipated, are lost somewhere along the the journey, naturally. Just give me one of those small things that has been replicated at scale for you and that has underpinned the Hawksmoor success story. Well, I mean, suppliers is a pretty good example. Again, you know, when we had one restaurant, we got all of our meat from... One farmer, I was going to say one farm. He had three farms in North Yorkshire. We got one kind of cattle, longhorn cattle. But obviously that is not sustainable, that one farmer thing, when we've got eight restaurants, and I think we serve something like 17,000, 18,000 people a week. So that's a, a good example of something where we've got to dramatically change the scale of it over time, but we can't do that and lose the integrity that underpinned it in the first place, the ethics of how you raise the cattle, the feed, the breeds, whatever it is. And that's a constant challenge that we're having to think about. How do we adapt to scale without losing integrity? It sounds to me, and that's and that makes perfect sense, it sounds to me also, and again, just from what I've read and what I've seen, that both you and Hugh are students of this world, not just of food today, but of food yesterday and of heritage and of how people did it and the differences there in the way that food has been both sourced and then prepared and all that. It feels also like you've never taken for granted that you know this business. It feels like every day you're a student in it, in a way, and that's what I I pick up. How do you maintain that for your staff and your people? Do you inculcate them with the same guys? This is about keeping it fresh. This is about understanding the history. Do you do that or is it just what you two do? If you talk to Hugh, uh, if he was here, almost everything he would talk about would be be product. Yeah, he just loves, he loves food and design and he's the guy who you know, is interested when we opened in Edinburgh about what the polled cattle society in the 18th century was starting to do with breeding stock. And he could tell you what some of the names of like the first Aberdeen Angus breeds were, cows of the Aberdeen Angus breed. I'm kind of a bit more geeky about different things, but one of them is kind of people. I think of Hawksmoor as much as anything as a people business. And it's it's got a really strong culture. If you came into Hawksmoor, and you talked to me and Hugh, if you went and talked to a waiter who'd been there for three months or a manager who'd been there for six or seven years, you would hear, I think, quite a lot of comparable sort of stories about this is the kind of people we are, these are the sort of things we're interested in, this is what we care about. And part of that is we talk about it a lot, we train people on it a lot, but we also think really carefully about who we hire. We're lucky, I think, that we're considered one of the better 
employers in the restaurant industry, which means we have a, a bit more scope to choose a certain kind of person. And, you know, that, that idea that you mentioned of trying to find people who are genuinely interested in what they do, in food, and that, and who think about it carefully is definitely something that we, we try to find when we hire people. Talking of finding the right people, you said earlier that you and Hugh have been best mates since you were 11, 30 years of friendship. That must make a huge difference to how this business is run because there's so much implicit and explicit trust between you. Are there moments where, if you'd have been on your own, we wouldn't be having this conversation? Would Hawksmore not exist? Could you have done it on your own? Oh, I mean, there's there's no doubt whatsoever that neither of us could have done it on our own. We have said many times over the last however many years, between us, we sort of amount to one reasonable business person. <laughs> uh, but both of us on our own are hopelessly flawed. Hugh is so detail-focused and he cares so much about quite a small range of things, whereas I do not have the patience or the kind of way of thinking to be able to really, really focus on any one thing. I like to kind of jump from biggish topic to biggish topic. I think if if it was just Hugh, he would have the world's greatest idea. <laughs> uh, and if it was just me, we'd probably have a reasonably sized, but probably quite mediocre product restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> now, it also strikes me that the two of you have fun. And um, I've read here, apparently, that your Hong Kong opening didn't quite happen you can tell me this is wrong but apparently um you guys decided you were going to drink a little bit and uh i think hugh left his suit on the plane and i don't believe the opening happened quite the way it was meant to is that true uh yeah it's it's pretty close to true pretty close um, we so we went we were, we were trying to open a restaurant in hong kong we've been doing it for a couple of years and uh we found this unbelievably beautiful like heritage restaurant building which is pretty rare in hong kong we, we'd, we'd applied for it you it was like a collaboration between the Hong Kong Jockey Club and the government. So you can imagine how bureaucratic it was. And we had to put this absurdly long proposal together. And they said, OK, well, we want you to come in on Friday and present it. Like, mm, we're in London, coming in for an hour. It's not that convenient. They're like, that's the deal. So, OK, jumped on a jumped on a plane, flew to Hong Kong, got a bit drunk on the plane, Hugh left his suit up there. So, you know, get there, cope with the evening. Next morning, presentations at whatever it is, 11, so we go out at 9 to try and buy Hugh a suit. Hugh is 6 foot 4, just not the standard size for Hong Kong. So we bought this suit with, like, laughably short arms and short legs, looking a bit like kind of... Rodney, he looks a bit like Rodney Trotter anyway, so he looks yeah. a, bit like, a bit like kind of Rodney Trotter. And we went to this, went to this meeting bit hungover in this incredibly stuffy room with like kind of there must have been 30 people and us and the chairman of the whatever this committee was kind of walked in everybody went sort of rigid with attention and it was obvious that really we were pitching to the chairman and the other 30 people were just like his crew and the presentation was an hour and a half or something. He fell asleep after the third minute and had to be woken up at the end. So we, I mean, obviously we left thinking the chances of us getting that are none. But it was a good trip. The bits when you're most happy, is it when you're front of house? Is it when you're just watching people, watching the service being delivered brilliantly, seeing that the food's fabulous, it smells right, the drinks have been done? I mean, is that is that it for you? Or is it actually looking back at the end of a night when you're with Hugh and you happen to have watched people and then you're talking about it? Is there a moment when you're just in... Because you strike me as someone who doesn't get stressed. And because obviously you're, you know, it's the old Macbethian, false face must hide what false heart doth know. And you probably do get stressed. But first question, actually... 
when is that happy moment? And secondly, is there stress ever? Yeah, the happy moment for Hugh would definitely be eating a flawless meal, which doesn't happen very often. Mm. He would usually sit down and order an absurd amount of food. You're, when you're with Hugh, you're never allowed to order for yourself. He's always like, even in other restaurants, right, try, I want to try this, I want to try that, try that, try that. This is what you're going to eat. He really, eat, in Hawksmoor in particular, he eats to find flaws. And if he doesn't, maybe happens a small number of times a year. That's, that's his real happy moment. And for you? I like walking into a restaurant that is buzzing. You know, if you go into Seven Dials, is pretty close to where we are, which is our second restaurant. You go into that restaurant on a, on a Friday night and it really, really is fun. The whole thing is kind of alive and people in the restaurant are happy and enjoying themselves, not just as it happens, customers, although they are and booze helps that. But you can see, you know, staff really, really enjoy that. There's, you don't get that feeling that you've seen in restaurants sometimes of like people can't handle it. It's too hard work. It's a really nice working environment. And when we get that bit right, that's probably the biggest joy for me. We'll find out about the stress in a moment. Stay with me for my final chat with World Plus. We'll be playing a track from Nina Simone. That's in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life for me. Yeah, it's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good Fish in the sea You know how I feel That was Nina Simone with the brilliant Feeling Good. I'm with Will Beckett just for a few more minutes. This business is successful. You've, you know, you've done something brilliant. People know you. It looks like everything's super dandy and happy. Where do you go from here? Are you stressed? I asked you about stress before. Are you stressed about where you're going from here or is it just more of the same? Or have you got ambitions, Will, to, you know, double the size and have another seven or eight restaurants in the future? Personally, I don't really feel stressed that much. I mean, the job is stressful at times. But I don't know, like I'm kind of quite naturally optimistic. I just assume things will be okay. Not naively, but just mm. assume things will be okay. And I think a lot of stress comes from like deeply worrying about things, which I tend not to. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that says this with a big smile on his face. The, this guy, this guy doesn't worry. That's the stress bit. Um, but that means that probably on the serious side of that, it means you deal with stuff. It means you see it and you go, okay. You feel it feels like you're a practical kind of person. Yeah, I'm like, you know, okay, take it on. Well, that's the thing that we're going to have to deal with now. Just we'll work it out. And I haven't always been proved right that optimistically it'll all be fine. Things have gone wrong. That doesn't worry me that much. Mm. And in terms of the future, so Hugh and I are both 41 years old. Young men in their prime. We are young men in our prime. That's kind. Thank you. I don't think we see ourselves as kind of serial entrepreneurs. You know, we're not going to go off and do something else new and brilliant and try and build it i think we look at Hawksmoor as life's work and i like the idea that 10 15 years from now we'll still be involved and thinking that way means i don't want to get to 10 15 years from now or even you know five ten years after maybe we're not involved and look back at it and think i don't like it anymore mm. i really enjoy opening restaurants i really enjoy growing the business i like the challenges that come with it think a lot of our staff kind of enjoy the momentum and the uh, opportunity that it brings but never kind of at the expense of 
diluting the thing that we've just spent 13 years so far building and that has been the cornerstone of like our whole working lives so we're going to open something in new york in september hopefully but let's just say the end of this year and on the back of that who knows really i mean if that works then what a wonderful privilege that would be to try and open kind of these big beautiful restaurants in another big beautiful city and and take it from there if that doesn't work then i don't think i don't think we will we will regret having tried something like that. The Gansevoort, opposite there, meatpacking district, where Pastis was. That's where you got to open. I'm that was a that is the Pastis was a classic restaurant. Classic restaurant and an amazing and obviously the meatpacking district. All those lovely cobblestones. It's my favourite one when I used to stay in New York occasionally. That was my favourite place. Obviously meatpacking. I'm just doing word association. It's just it says nothing meat, to so do we should open in the meatpacking district. With a decent place yeah. for a business, but we should just do that. Um, and the money side of it, obviously you've got a good business, it's turning over nice things. You've just said very eloquently it's your life's work and therefore you're not looking for that earn out and running away and selling the thing and all that. What relationship do you have with money? Is it about just having enough or is it about actually there's other ambitions? Again, it strikes me that the money is not super interesting to you. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's nice. Mm. It's nice to have. It's a, it's a, a way, I suppose, of saying, okay, the thing that you have done is successful. But it, it isn't really that important interesting to me it's not really that interesting to Hugh either to be honest the best thing I ever read about money during that period where I was like reading every business book going was money is to business like oxygen is to life like it's not the point but business doesn't work unless they're making money so no I think we just feel if we try to do a great thing all the satisfaction the personal satisfaction for us and the people that work at Hawksmoor comes from that and if we succeed in doing a great thing, then money will follow from that. And again, that's nice if it happens. It's been really nice talking to you, Will. Thank you very much. Thanks for you too. Th- thanks for coming in. I look forward to my um, next trip to Hawksmoor, which needs to be sooner rather than later because I've just realised it's been far too long. Can you let me know, though, before I let you go, what your song choice is and why have you chosen it? Uh, yeah, I picked Acknowledgement, which is the first song on A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. When I was in my teens, I lived with my mum, my stepdad, and my stepdad was uh, massively into jazz. He died about three years ago. Um, but he was kind of a big influence on... Um, on me and on, on how I thought about a few things and, and he was really into you know kind of hard bop and bebop so I thought I'd, I'd pick this that's the, the nice emotive reason the non-emotive reason is I just really like how Jungle Train just starts going starts singing kind of love supreme again and again and again on this it makes me laugh so here it is right now we've started a little bit further into the song because those lyrics that you just talked about Will don't kick in for quite a while That was A Love Supreme Part 1 Acknowledgement by John Coltrane, the song choice of my business shaper today, Will Beckett. He talked humbly about different shades of failure before Hawksmoor really got going in 2009. He talked about the secret to Hawksmoor's success is focusing on a very small number of things and making sure that they are followed right the way through with full integrity into all of his restaurants. And finally, in really nice way of putting it, he talked about Hawksmoor being his life's work. Really, really good stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Condorea. It's business, but it's personal. 
We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers. <laughs>